Apple has finally decided to grow a backbone around end-to-end -end encryption. The US government has a plan to help make IoT a little bit better for everybody. Proton Pass is now finally open source and has been audited. And a new encrypted messaging standard is coming to a messenger near you, possibly, and more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 142, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the last week. I'm Henry from TechLore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. And as always, still nothing has changed. We still completely rely on all of you, and we're super grateful for all the support we've been seeing. So if you want to support this podcast, Patreon is the best way to do it at patreon.com slash techlore. And if you're not a fan of Patreon for whatever reason, um, we also support LibraPay and we also support Monero as well. You'll find everything down in the description. Patreon, you will get some perks, including the ability to join our Q&A, which we're releasing midweek-ish. We're still figuring it out. It's, we're still new to it. So I think you probably will be seeing a Q&A live Friday or Saturday. Um, so we'll get more on a normal schedule. The goal is to be Wednesday, Sunday with those. So Q&A's Wednesday, and then uh, SRs around Sunday, plus or minus one or two days here. I'm gonna take the highlight story this week and it's pretty straightforward. So this article came from the BBC who um, likes to avoid the sensational headlines sometimes and sometimes to their detriment. So the headline says, Apple slams UK surveillance bill proposals and they kind of buried the lead in that headline. That's why I gave that caveat. I'm going to quote a couple of lines from the article. Apple says it will remove services such as FaceTime and iMessage from the UK rather than weaken security if new proposals are made law and acted upon. Apple says it would not make changes to security features specifically for one country that would weaken a product for all users. Some changes would require issuing a software update, so could not be made secretly. And the proposals constitute a serious and direct threat to data security and information privacy that would affect people outside the UK, unquote. Analysis, finally. Congratulations on growing a spine, Apple, one of the biggest and most powerful companies in the world who for some reason felt like it wasn't a safe bet for them to stand up and do the right thing. But um, yeah, I think I think WhatsApp especially, when they threatened to leave the UK, I think that really put a lot of pressure on the UK government and um, Element, Signal, or Matrix and Signal, not so much, but I, I think that added to it and... Uh, I think there were some other tech companies that, of course, expressed their disapproval. But I think now that Apple has stepped forward and is like, no, we're not going to comply. I think that's really um, I think that really does make a statement. It's not like Apple has entirely threatened to pull out, which would really like I think that would kill this bill pretty much overnight. As much as I hate to give Apple that much credit, I think it would. I know with iMessage, a lot of people don't really understand the security behind it. It's more of a for those who actually care. Like I know some people don't care. For them, it's the same as text message, whatever. FaceTime especially, and a little bit iMessage will piss off the users if it goes away. So it's not quite the same as Apple actually pulling out, but I do still think this is gonna put a significant amount of pressure on, on the government. And I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see this pass now. I was kind of uncertain before, but I think this is gonna be a good move. Okay, um, Kat is joining me for this one. Uh, data breaches section. JumpCloud has disclosed a breach by a state-backed APT hacking group. So this is a result of a spear phishing attack. And while JumpCloud did not find evidence that its customers were impacted at the time, the company decided to rotate credentials and rebuild compromised infrastructure anyway. On July 5th, they discovered the activity in the commands framework for a small set of customers. And while investigating the attack, they analyzed logs for signs of malicious activity. And the same day, they forced rotated those admin API keys to protect the organization. Um, well, protect organizations, I should say. 
And um, kind of on a similar note, uh, this breach actually traced back to North Korean state hackers. Um, this is kind of a separate story that's tied to this one. And they do believe the attack was financially motivated. So um, definitely an interesting thing. Seems more corporate oriented, but still something to throw on everyone's radars. Estee Lauder was breached by two ransomware gangs. So if you guys didn't know, that's a luxury beauty brand. Um, I'm not even gonna try to guess what they make because I don't know and I don't care, but I do know they're a luxury brand. Two ransomware actors, Alpha, also known as Black Cat, and Klopp, have listed the company on their data leak sites as a victim of separate attacks. In a disgruntled message to the company, the Black Cat gang mocked their security measures, saying that they were still present on the network. The company did not provide too many details about the incident, saying that it acted proactively and took down some systems to prevent attackers from expanding on the network. An investigation is ongoing with the support of, quote, leading third-party cybersecurity experts, unquote. The company is also coordinating with law enforcement. Klopp claims to have 131 gigabytes of data, although the article did not specify what kind of data and Black Cat hinted that the information exfiltrated could impact customers, company employees, and suppliers. So that is all we know at this time. And as always, we will keep you updated if we hear more, which kind of wouldn't be surprised if we do, just because Estee Lauder is a big brand. Up next, Roblox, which is a game, that's that one I know, um, had a data leak that sees 4,000 developer profiles, including identifying information made public. Uh, so this led to the um, personal information, including addresses from those who attended the Roblox developer conference between 2017 and 2020. The leak contains almost 4,000 names, phone numbers, email addresses, date of births, and physical addresses. Addresses. Um, the website Have I Been Pwned says the original breach date was the 18th of December in 2020, with the information becoming available the 18th of July in 2023, with a total of almost those 4,000 accounts. The site notes that as well as above, as the above information, the leak even includes each individual's t-shirt sizes. That is not one I've heard yet. They leaked everyone's t-shirt sizes. Virus Total apologizes for a data leak affecting 5,600 customers. So Virus Total has apologized on Friday for leaking the information of over 5,600 customers after an employee mistakenly uploaded a CSV file containing the information to a plat to the platform last month. The data leak impacted only premium account customers with the uploaded file containing their names and corporate email addresses. The service's head of product management assured impacted customers that the incident was caused by human error and was not the result of a cyber attack or any vulnerability. Furthermore, the leak was only accessible to VirusTotal partners and cybersecurity analysts with a premium account with the platform. Those using anonymous or free accounts cannot access the premium platform and thus cannot reach the file. Uh, it was removed within an hour. It, it included names and email addresses as stated, but for like government organizations, uh, big private companies like cybersecurity organizations. So um, not the worst breach ever, but it definitely presents a little bit of a phishing risk. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some cyber criminals with some premium virus total accounts for whatever reason. So not great. Your reminder that virus total doesn't have the best privacy policy. So while it could be a good security tool, just be aware if you're uploading any sensitive personal documents to it. Just be wary of that. Up next, OpenAI. Credentials were stolen by thousands for sale on the dark web. Um, the researchers identified more than 200,000 credentials for sale in the form of stealer logs. Compared to the estimated 100 million active users in January, it does seem insignificant, but it still shows that threat actors uh, do see some value in generative AI tools um, for malicious activity. A report in June from cybersecurity company Group 
IB said that the illicit marketplaces on the dark web traded logs from info stealing malware containing more than those 100,000 GPT accounts. Uh, cyber criminals interest in these utilities had been peaked to the point that one of them developed a chat GPT clone were named worm GPT and trained it on malware focused data. So that's fun. All right. We have another move it data breach. Uh, this came from pension benefit information, which is a research service that provides various pension plan management services, including death audits, participant location, and uncashed check services. The company's clients consist of large pension plans, insurance companies, financial institutions, and third-party administrators, according to their website. Among many other entities, including the federal government, state governments, universities, healthcare organizations, and corporations around the world, PBI Research Services was also impacted by the recent MoveIt cyber attack in late May. Outside of the isolated MoveIt transfer service, PBI systems were not impacted by the breach. They have assured their clients that they would provide other data transfer options if clients felt hesitant about using MoveIt software. In its notice to individuals, PBI said it was unable to confirm whether your personal information was impacted, but it encouraged potentially impacted individuals to take steps to protect their information. The public notice did not identify the specific data elements that may have been breached. At the end, they just sort of tack on this completely, like, in my opinion, this should be a completely separate article. Uh, there was another company called Phoenician Medical Center, and they have an affiliate, uh, Phoenix Neurological and Pain Institute and the Laser Surgery Center in Arizona. They also suffered a data breach that impacted 162,500 individuals. Um, the article didn't really give any details on what was impacted, but as far as I can tell, those two stories are not related, but for some reason they were technically in the same article. Super weird. Um, also, I forgot to mention, this one came from a reader. Uh, thank you for sending that to us. Appreciate it. I think I um, hear your cat purring. Yes. <laughs> it's okay. Okay, so this last one, this is going to finish out the data breaches section, and it's more of a leak slash whatever this is. Um, but Amazon told drivers not to worry about in-van surveillance cameras now that the footage is leaking online. They wrote about the biometric consent form that that drivers had to sign that allowed them to be monitored while on the job. They insisted that the program was about safety only. That's it. And that workers shouldn't be worried about their privacy. That'd be crazy. Why do you care? They said to their employees, don't believe the self-interested critics who claim these cameras are intended for anything other than safety as if there's anything in it for the critics. This video and the rash of others have been recently become public, shows that access to the camera feeds is actually being abused. Wow. Um, it's not always clear who is posting the video or how they got access. It's not clear why there has been a sudden spate of videos being posted online. One current Amazon delivery driver said that the drivers themselves did not have access to the videos. Only Amazon Netra Divine, which is their camera provider, and the relevant DSPs did. They had not heard about any changes regarding that access policy. So of course, just no one knows what's going on. And why should they know? It's only for safety. And the critics will say otherwise. Just, just for context, it was one of those articles that opened up with describing a video about like, there's this driver in the truck and somebody's dog jumps in their lap. And it sounds really cute. You know, dog's all excited to see him. And the driver, of course, is like, oh, I get to pet a dog. I'm having a good day. And so it wasn't really anything sorted, but at the same time, they point out like, that's just one video. There's so many. So that's, that's the video they were referencing there, but yeah. But yeah, don't worry about them leaking online. You're, it's just to ensure your safety. And with that, we'll move into companies. So we have some potentially unfortunate news from Android 14. It's worth noting that this is not verified. Uh, this came from, I believe, like a researcher, kind of one of those like looking at the source code kind of thing. So it's most likely true, but we don't know how this is going to change before it reaches us publicly. It says Android 14's work profile change is bad for your battery and work-life balance. 
Quoting the article, Android 14 now pauses apps present in the work profile instead of completely turning off the work profile whenever you switch to your personal profile. In previous versions of Android, the work profile would be turned off, meaning that all apps stop running and can no longer receive notifications and data in the background. With Android 14, these apps are now actually paused instead of being killed. Think of it as your work apps entering a do not disturb state where the notifications are still generated but not presented to you until you log back in. That means your work apps will continue running in the background of your phone even when you are not actively logged into your work profile. Further, work apps will be immediately available when unpaused without additional syncing time. Since the profiles are never truly turned off, update policies will also continue to apply. Cross-profile contacts will also be identified, so you will be able to identify your organization contacts even when you are not in the work profile. These changes will have a net effect of making you a bit more available during your off time, making work-life balance a tad more difficult. It also does not sound great for your phone's battery, although there's room for further testing on this end. Up next, Google starts the GA rollout of its Privacy Sandbox APIs to all Chrome users. So uh, we've covered this in the past. It's pretty much their attempt to track people a little bit differently, um, pretty much through the browser directly. Um, First party tracking via Google, and then they pretty much do the tracking from there. Um, It's a replacement for tracking cookies in the online advertising industry. And today, right on schedule and in time for the launch of Chrome 115 in the stable release channel, they have announced that it will now start enabling the new API in its browsers. This will be a gradual rollout with Google aiming for 99% availability by mid-August, so very soon. At this point, Google doesn't expect to make any major changes to the API. Um, This includes virtually all of the core privacy sandbox features, including topics, protected audience, attribution reporting, private aggregation, shared storage, and fenced frames. It's worth noting that for the time being, privacy sandbox will run in parallel with third-party cookies in the browser. So now you just get both forms of tracking. Isn't that great? Um, It won't be until early 2024 that Google will deprecate third-party cookies for 1% of Chrome users. So uh, you're going to have just both on Chrome for indefinitely, most likely. Google will also now start rolling out its user interface to allow them to manage privacy sandbox data in the browser, including ad topics, site-suggested ads, and ad measurement data. Whether or not you think this is the future, I think it's pretty safe to say. Um, This is very early on, and most people are just very skeptical of this whole idea. So if you want to be on the safe side of things, just don't use Chrome. And pro tip, if you just use something that takes care of cookies out of the box, like Firefox or Brave or several other browsers that both of us recommend. Um, You don't have to really pick and choose between either poison. Just something to think about. Okay, our next story is pretty quick. It comes from Apple. It says, Apple Pay launches in Morocco. I'm going to pull my mic back a little bit because my cat is in my lap. Quoting the article, CIH Bank is launching Apple Pay in the country as of Tuesday, according to the bank's Twitter account. It's not clear if other banks in Morocco will be coming on board with the support for Apple's digital payment method, but it's likely. The support means that CIH Bank's customers will be able to add their MasterCard credit cards and bank cards to the wallet app by tapping the plus button at the top right of the corner. Apple has yet to update its regional website to officially confirm the launch. Although, as the article noted, the bank has confirmed it, so I'd be pretty surprised if... You know, it's not mostly sharing this because guys, there's just, there's not a lot of good privacy preserving options out there for other countries when it comes to payment. Uh, And by other countries, I mean, pretty much outside the U S and even in the U S we pretty much just have privacy.com. A lot of people criticize me for the stance, but honestly, if we want to stop people to stop using Apple pay, we, we need to give other countries more options. So I'm not a developer. I'm sorry. I wish I was, but you know, maybe we need to be looking into how we can 
help solve this. Up next, Amazon's palm scanning payment system is coming to all Whole Foods stores by the end of the year. Yay. Yay. So, um, yeah, it's so exciting. <laughs> Everyone was asking for this. So uh, this <laughs> oh, is called you're Amazon One, and it will roll out to all 500 plus Whole Food locations, all of them by the end of 2023. Amazon first introduced the contactless Amazon One payment system in 2020, but it, its expansion by the end of 2023 will be its largest to date. To date, Amazon One has reached more than 3 million uses, they say, which presumably means transactions per year since its debut. To put that into context, they say that there were 39.6 billion <laughs> credit card transactions. It's like it's like a, a rice in a pool. Type of, I was going to say, that's why I said you're going to love this article, because everyone was clearly asking for this. Right. <laughs> Um, and the article goes on to defend this, uh, like how new technologies take time to gain widespread adoption and blah, blah, blah. But um, I guess we'll see how true this really is. Um, maybe this is the future. Who knows? But I don't know. I guess we'll see. Uh, I wouldn't suggest people do this if they have the option not to, which you do. Uh, okay. And this is a story that I caught last minute here. It says California insurance company drops customer after quote unquote drone took aerial images of yard. At first, the homeowner was told that he'd lost his insurance because drone photos taken over his property showed hazards in his yard, but the company refused to show him the pictures. Later, he was told there was no drone, just aerial photos. He felt it intruded on his privacy with no way to reinstate his policy. Shocker. I'm sure anybody would feel that way. Um, his house is not in a fire zone, which not being political here, but this is this is a fact, guys. Whether you believe it or not, the perception of climate change. Now, I'm not even going to be political or like diplomatic about it. Climate change has gotten so bad that a lot of insurance companies in areas that are prone to wildfires like California and Australia are just straight up not issuing insurance anymore. Because it doesn't make sense because wildfires have gotten so bad that the odds are no longer in their favor and they won't issue policies. And a lot of them, as we're seeing in the story, are looking for excuses to cancel policies. So that's why I say that for those of you who are like, what do you mean fire zone? His house isn't in a fire zone and he's never filed a single claim in 15 years. Instead, the notice said that his insurance company found, quote, debris, hazardous conditions, tires or dilapidated cars in his yard. But how would they know that? No one ever came to inspect. So he called the company and that's when they told him, you know, we took these drone photos. They wouldn't let him see the drone photos. And they also... I mean, this isn't really privacy related, but they didn't even give him like a chance. They didn't say like, hey, you've got to clean your yard or we're going to cancel your policy. They're just like, nope, you're canceled. We're done. Sucks to suck. And he did. It's not really privacy related. But for the record, he did say like, I do have some cars in my yard because I'm I'm like a mechanic guy. I like to fix my cars up. But they're obviously like if you took more than one photo, like one on one day, one on another day or whatever, you would see that clearly like I'm moving stuff around. I'm working on the car. It's not just like. I dumped a Chevy on the front yard and never touched it again. Uh, the insurance company later told him that it did not use a drone and the company, quote, the company does not perform surveillance on insured properties using drones, unquote. In a letter, it said that it may review, quote, proprietary aerial imagery to assess risk. The company told sister ABC station KGO that the images may be captured by fixed wing airplane or satellite. Still, the company would not show those images to the homeowner or to the news outlet. The company also said in their reply, quote, while you may have had your insurance with the company for many years, paid your premiums and not filed claims, those factors are not considerations when evaluating property risk, unquote. So again, sucks to suck. Thanks for, thanks for your loyalty. Screw you. And then they, they end on this note. As for the legality of taking drone pictures over a house, California state law only forbids that if you're specifically doing so 
so as a sort of peeping Tom. I think that story speaks for itself. That's all I got. Okay, there is actually no research this week. So we're going to dive right into the politics and we're going to go into this story from the US government who has launched the CyberTrust Mark. It's long-awaited IoT security labeling program. We've talked about this in the past, I think when it was being introduced and kind of loosely talked about and it's launching it. So yay, uh, this program is officially named the US Cyber Trust Mark, and it aims to help Americans ensure they're buying internet connected devices that include strong cybersecurity protections against cyber attacks. The criterion, which was established by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which a lot of you probably know as NIST, will require, for example, that devices require unique and strong default passwords, protect both stored and transmitted data, offer regular security updates, and ship with incident detection capabilities. The full list of standards is still unfolding and not finalized yet, and the White House has said that NIST will immediately start work on defining cybersecurity standards for those higher-risk consumer-grade routers, devices that attackers frequently target to steal passwords, and create botnets that can be used to launch uh, DDoS attacks. The work will be completed by the end of 2023 with the aim that the initiative will cover these devices when it launches in 2024. In a call with reporters, the White House confirmed that this will include a QR code that will link to a national registry of certified devices that provide up-to-date security information, such as software updating policies, data encryption standards, and vulnerability remediation. U.S. retailers will also be encouraged to prioritize labeled products when placing them in stores and online, and a number have already signed up to the initiative, including Amazon and Best Buy. Other big-name tech firms that already agreed to the voluntary labeling initiative, including Cisco, Google, LG, Qualcomm, and Samsung. On my end, you know, I think this is good. I think that, like, I'll get to what I don't think is good, but I think this is overall good. Um, it would be awesome to see, and again, this isn't controlling companies. This is just setting a bare minimum in place so that companies have security updates better default passwords, things that should, they should just be doing in the first place. So I think this is overall good. I think everyone's basic security just went up a little bit with IoT devices. With that said, IoT devices inherently, I would argue, are just overall, still, we haven't seen the evidence yet that they're still secure yet, or more secure than some of the other devices you can buy on the market. And the most important thing I want to outline is this is strictly security oriented. Uh, none of this seems to be privacy oriented. Um, just because Amazon gives you good security patches and they try to keep things as secure as possible doesn't mean they can't collect everything that's going on um, and lots of other privacy concerns regarding a lot of these IoT devices. So that's what I would say to this. I think that's a good thought. Um, I agree with you. I think overall this is a really good thing. I just want to point out, I know a lot of people, especially once we start seeing the criteria roll out, I guarantee you so many people are going to be like, well, this doesn't go far enough. And you're probably right for the record. But right now... There is no standard. There is no floor. So, I mean, at this point, anything is a positive move in the right direction. And hopefully over time, because so they're basing, um, they base this program on the whole Energy Star thing. And that's the idea is I'll admit I do this too. And I, I, Energy Star is probably flawed. I'm well aware of that. But when I go to buy something and I see the little Energy Star logo on it, I'm like, okay. And it gives you a snapshot of like, how much money will this thing save you over the year? And it helps me. I know it's not the end all be all, but it helps in that decision making. And that's the idea is when people go in to buy a router and they see two routers sitting there and believe it or not, this is normal. A lot of people feel this that aren't tech savvy. They see two routers sitting there and they're like, how do I know which one I need? I guess I'll go with the cheaper one. But now when they see this little mark that says, hey, this has a cyber trust mark. This one's meets certain criteria. They'll be like, I'll spring an extra five or 10 bucks for that one and they'll grab that instead, which will put them off on better footing. And yeah, just what you said about like government not forcing people, this is like, 
exactly what the free market people want. It's not the government saying, hey, you have to do this. It's the government saying, you don't have to do this, but we're gonna incentivize you probably with like tax breaks and things like that. We actually have a, a couple of good stories in, in the politics section. We're lulling you into a false sense of security, to be honest. But our next good story says the government has banned European spyware vendors Intellexa and Citrox. The US government has banned European commercial spyware manufacturers Intellexa and Citrox, citing risks to US national security and foreign policy interests. According to the State Department, the deployment of these surveillance tools on a world, worldwide scale aimed to intimidate political adversaries, suppress dissent, restrict freedom of speech, and keep track of journalists and activists' activity, thereby sustaining a climate of repression and human rights violations. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the relevant thing. It, is it hypocritical? Yeah, sure. Are there probably selfish motives there? Yeah, sure, but it's something. Up next, legislation preventing data broker sales to government agencies is moving forward. The reintroduction of the Fourth Amendment is not for sale act coincides with a defense spending amendment to limit Department of Defense purchases of data from data brokers, which is what this is called the Davidson-Jacobs Amendment, which was adopted by the House last week. The pair of bills demonstrates a growing bipartisan consensus that law enforcement access to data brokers needs to be reined in. There really weren't a lot more details about the bills themselves, but it's cool to see this have, surprisingly, bipartisan support. So maybe we'll see this go somewhere. I guess for context, for people who don't know, um, a lot of law enforcement, they're not allowed to collect uh, a lot of people's personal data without a warrant and other kind of oversight. So they just buy the data from other people who collected it anyway. So they're trying to reel this in. Okay, our next story says Senate bill. We have a lot of American stories this week. I apologize. Uh, the Senate bill crafted with the DEA, which is the Drug Enforcement Agency, targets end-to-end -end encryption, requires online companies to report drug activity. The bipartisan Cooper Davis Act, named for a Kansas teenager who died after unknowingly taking a fentanyl-laced pill he bought on Snapchat, requires social media companies and other web communication providers to give the DEA users names and other information when the companies have actual knowledge that illicit drugs are being distributed on their platforms. Many privacy advocates caution that if passed in its current form, the bill could be a death blow to end-to-end -end encryption services because it includes par uh, particularly controversial language holding companies accountable for conduct they don't report if they, quote, deliberately blind themselves to the violations. Um, so this is a quote from, I didn't put it in the notes, but it's one of the civil rights organizations, uh, civil liberties organizations that they interviewed. They could maintain end-to-end -end encryption and risk liability that they had willfully blinded themselves to illegal content on their service and face the music later, or they could opt to remove end-to-end -end encryption and subject all of their users who used to be protected by one of the best cybersecurity tools available to new threats and new privacy violations. The Bank of America and other businesses share innocent American records with FBI, quote, all the time. Um, the confession, which came during a House Judiciary Committee oversight hearing, confirms the testimony of an FBI whistleblower who told congressional investigators earlier this year that Bank of America sent the federal law enforcement agency a huge list of financial records for Americans who use the bank's credit or debit cards in pro close proximity to Washington, D.C. around the January 6th. 2021 Capitol riot. That's a long sentence. It also confirms the majority of American suspicions that the FBI is being weaponized against the people it's sworn to protect. The George Hill, former FBI supervisory intelligence analyst in the Boston field office, told us that the Bank of America, with no legal process, gave to the FBI gun purchase records with no geographical boundaries for anyone that was a Bank of America customer. Is that true? And then they explained that a number of community partners all the time, including financial institutions, share information with us about possible criminal activity. And my understanding is that that's fully awful, lawful, which he's probably not wrong about. <laughs> um, I was going to say, what a matrix dodge. <laughs> right. Um, 
But they, Hill told investigators that of the customers on its list, Bank of America highlighted at the top of the list who had ever purchased a firearm with a Bank of America card. During the hearing, Ray insisted that Americans' personal firearm transaction records were shared with field offices for information only, and even claimed that data was recalled to avoid even the appearance of any kind of overreach. Massey then disclosed that he was in possession of an email stating that the FBI did give the search queries to Bank of America, which prompted the bank to hand over the data without a search warrant. On my end regarding this, um, I think the biggest issue, again, I, I don't inherently have an issue with government agencies trying to hold individuals accountable if they're breaking laws and regulations. I don't I, I don't see an inherent issue with that. What I want to see is proper oversight and proper, I want to see it done in a way where people actually have control over their rights and their data and their ability to do what they should be able to do. You should be able to have a bank account and not have all your transactions handed over to anyone that the bank wants to give it to. So that's my biggest issue with this. Again, no search warrants, no oversight over this process, and we're relying on whistleblowers to fill us in on what's going on. My second thing I'll outline here, I know we've talked about this in the past, uh, both Nate and I, because we've covered a story where they started adding a new financial code to track gun purchases specifically, and everyone freaked out. And when we dug into it, it turns out there's a million of those codes that apply to things that are just as sensitive, if not more sensitive, than in firearms, things like your medical records, your insurance, your church. Religious your, organizations, uh, political organizations you've donated to. Yeah, I remember that. I was like, bro, what? Right, yeah. it's like everything. And so this is the same thing for, you know, they're really attacking the guns on this and whether or not you're for or against guns, we're looking at things from the privacy angle and this is not specific to guns. Guns are the core of this debate between these people. But ultimately, from the privacy angle, if we step away from that debate, um, this is kind of a much broader issue than just firearms, because they're handing over data about probably a lot of other things and a lot of other crimes going on. Just a quick thing to tack on to that. The first part you said about like getting a warrant, it's not hard. Like To get a warrant from a judge, all you have to do is basically say, like, here's why we think this person is a suspect. That's it. You don't even have to have, like, that's the whole point of the search warrant, is to get the evidence that will hold up in court. So you don't even have to have this high standard of evidence. You just have to like not be drooling on yourself, basically. Like, hey, here's why we think this person is a suspect. We want to go search them. Cool. And they'll sign off on it. Um, okay, this next one's really long. So I'm going to try to condense some of these quotes, although they did really sum it up pretty well. Uh, the headline says, this AI watches millions of cars daily and tells cops if you're driving like a criminal. Actually, I do want to quote this uh, opening story they started with because it has a twist. In March of 2022, David Zavas was driving down the Hutchinson River Parkway in Scarsdale. His car, a gray Chevrolet, was entirely unremarkable, as was its speed. But to the Westchester County Police Department, the car was cause for concern and Zavas a possible criminal. Its powerful new AI tool had identified the car's behavior as suspicious. Searching through a database of 1.6 billion license plate records collected over the last two years from locations across the state of New York, the AI determined that Zavas' car was on a journey typical of a drug trafficker. It made nine trips from Massachusetts to different parts of New York between October 2020 and August 2021, following routes known to be used by narcotics pushers and for conspicuously short stays. So on March 10th of last year, the Westchester PD pulled him over and searched his car, finding 112 grams of crack cocaine, a semi-automatic semi pistol, and $34,000 of cash inside. 
A year later, Zavas pleaded guilty to drug trafficking charges. So the previously unreported case is a window into the evolution of AI-powered policing and a harbinger of the constitutional issues that will eventually accompany it. Typically, automated license plate recognition technology, or ALPR, is used to search for plates linked to specific crimes. But in this case, it was used to examine the driving patterns of, pa of anyone passing one of Westchester County's 480 cameras over a two-year period. And Zavas' lawyer described this as dragnet surveillance and... I don't think he's wrong. According to the lawyer, he had filed a FOIA request, Freedom of Information uh, Act, with the Westchester Police, revealed that the system was scanning over 16 million plates a week. That's insane. 400, across 480 ALPR cameras, of those systems, 434 were stationary, attached to poles and signs, while the remaining 46 were mobile, attached to police vehicles. The AI was not just looking at plates either. It had also been taking notes on vehicles make, model, and color, useful when a plate for a suspect isn't visible or is unknown. Westchester PD's license plate surveillance system was built by Wrecker, a $125 million market cap AI company trading on NASDAQ, so publicly traded company. Local reporting and police government uh, data reviewed by Forbes showed that they have sold their ALPR tech to at least 23 police departments and local governments across America, from Lauder Hill, Florida to San Diego, California. That's not including more than 40 police departments across New York State who can avail themselves of Westchester County PD's system, which runs out of its real-time crime center. Wrecker's big sell is that its software doesn't require new cameras. It can be installed in already deployed ones, whether owned by the government, a business, or a consumer. Cough, cough, ring. It also runs the Record Public Safety Network, an opt-in project that has been aggregating vehicle location data from the customers for the last three years since it launched with information from 30 states that at the time were reading 150 million plates per month. Just to clarify, I put the air quotes around opt-in. I'm just suspicious of that claim. Uh, in pursuit of that elusive profit, the market is looking well beyond law enforcement to retail and fast food. Corporate giants have toyed with the idea of tying license plates to customer identities. McDonald's and White Castle have already begun using ALPR to drive uh, to tailor drive-through experiences, detecting returning customers, and using past orders to guide them through the reordering process or offer individualized promotions. Pretty dense information. It's not good. It's horrifying. Amazon has agreed to a $25 million fine for Alexa children privacy violations. This was from May 2023. The FTC and the U.S. Department of Justice filed charges against Amazon, accusing them of violating these children's privacy laws. And the charges were brought after Amazon failed to comply with parents' requests to delete their children's voice recordings and geolocation information. Uh, something else. I bet it's just the critics, you know? It's just... It's fine, everyone, it's fine. Um, Amazon also faces a $5 million fine for privacy violations associated with its Ring video doorbell service. So, I mean, these are a drop in the bucket, but I guess it's better than nothing, question mark? Speaking of fines, this is a good one. I don't think they can negotiate this one. Uh, you guys may have heard about this. Meta faces a 100,000, yeah, $100,000 daily fine if it doesn't fix privacy issues in Norway, which um, another... Uh, a news outlet reworded this in a different way. Basically, Meta's banned from Norway until they fix this. Uh, Meta's practice of tracking Instagram and Facebook users violates their privacy, Norway's data protection regulator said in a press release today. If the company doesn't take remedial action, it will be fined 1 million crowns, which is $100,000, per day from August 4th until November 3rd. I'm not sure why that deadline uh, they said, it is so clear that this is illegal that we need to intervene now and immediately. I agree with you. The move follows a European court ruling banning Meta from harvesting user data like location, behavior, and more for advertising. Detalisnet has de uh, referred its action to Europe's data protection board, which could widen the fine across Europe. And the article notes that Norway is a member of the European single market, but not technically an EU member. So 
That's why. Meta told Reuters that it is reviewing the decision and that the decision wouldn't immediately impact its services. So maybe they haven't been banned. Maybe that's what that November 3rd thing is, like comply or get out. But we'll see. And now the FOSS category, free and open source. And we're going to start with ProtonPass, uh, which is Proton's new password manager. And it has now been made open source and it's been audited for security. And so the code underwent the security audit by the German security firm Cure53, which many of you have probably heard of because they audit a lot of things in the privacy and security world. Um, They tested the mobile apps, the browser extensions, and the API. And they had this to say, which was Proton's extensive and thorough thorough security assessment by Cure53 showcased their commitment to maintaining a high level of security with a moderate number of findings and most security vulnerabilities limited in severity. The overall state of severity across Proton's applications and platforms is commendable. So it's nice to have this one little thumbs up on the way that Proton conducted things. Um, And they did fix a couple things as well. Like, for example, they missed a case where an attacker might control a subdomain on a domain where the user has an account and thus trick a user who isn't paying attention into accidentally entering their credentials. So there's little things like that that were caught in this audit. Um, But yeah, all issues were reported. um, And... There was one that was not able to be resolved at the time due to a platform limitation on Android um, because the Android operating system doesn't currently provide the information that would be required to solve the issue. Uh, We have some more good news from Proton. Proton Mail now protects you from tracking links. Proton Mail protects you from tracking links by, or tracking pixels by default, as many uh, privacy focused mail clients do. But advertisers have more tools that they can use to track you. After spy pixels, tracking links embedded in an email or newsletter are one of the most common ways companies try to spy on you. These tracking links typically tell an organization which email you read, what you clicked to open the link, and what marketing campaign you engaged with. While not all tracking links are nefarious, they can relay sensitive information that companies can use to, pretend, to personally identify you, profile your behavior, and follow what you do across apps and websites. Starting today, we're happy to introduce tracking link protection on our web app. It removes known tracking parameters from links in your emails and is turned on by default. First off, this is actually, even if you don't like Proton or even if you aren't a Proton user, I I recommend reading this article if you're not familiar with tracking links because they do have a really good breakdown of exactly how they work and what they look like. So they're really good article just for that alone. Um... That said, to my knowledge, I think they're the only mail provider that does this. I could be wrong. Again, a lot of people block tracking pixels, but as far as I know, they're the first ones who have stepped up and gone with tracking links as well. I think maybe DuckDuckGo does that with re- their relay. Last but not least, it's worth noting, like they said, I the implication here, they didn't flat out say, well, they, they kind of said it. It only works on the web app. I don't think it's in like the mobile apps yet. I'm assuming... There's no way they'd ever roll out a feature on every client at the same time. That'd be insane. Right. Yeah, no, why would they do that? Anyways, yeah, so just be aware of that if you're using the app. Um, And also, it says it's turned on by default. I would just go ahead and double check your settings just to be certain. Never hurts. Yeah, I'm going to keep this one pretty quick. Um, There's not anything super interesting here. Uh, Canine Mail is an email client on Android. And they did an audit with six auditors who took a look at it. There were zero high-risk vulnerabilities, and there were a few... Uh, low to medium risk vulnerabilities, the majority of them have already been resolved or are in the process of being addressed. So they're pleased to share this promising conclusion from the OSTIF. Um, Mozilla has an incredible foundation because uh, Mozilla and K9Mail, but Mozilla, I think, bought out K9Mail, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, K9Mail is basically going to turn into Thunderbird Mobile. Yeah, that's pretty cool, I think. Um, but they, yeah, they pretty much just said good things about them. That's 
yeah, there's a full report if you want to read it in, in the article, but I'll save you time. Uh, good stuff on canine mail. And our last article, this comes from Matrix, but this is actually bigger than Matrix. Um, the headline says, A Giant Leap Forward for Encryption with MLS. And MLS is, uh, if I didn't put it in the notes here, but I believe it's message layer security or something like messaging layer security. Um, quoting the article, Given our commitment to open standards and interoperability, we're delighted to see MLS be ratified by the IETF as RFC 9420. Basically, it's an official web standard. Like, um, like what else would be a standard? Like uh, HTTP, HTTPS, things like that. Uh, MLS is a new encryption standard defined by the IETF, the standards body that maintains much of what makes the internet work. In the same way that transport layer security, or TLS, which is another standard, so I guess I should have just kept reading, defines the way to provide encryption between users and servers or between two different servers, MLS provides a standard way of users of a messaging service to communicate securely without servers being able to eavesdrop on their conversations. MLS provides more opportunities for improving the security of conversations in Matrix and other clients and offers those building on Matrix more flexibility. MLS is particularly useful for conversations with large numbers of participating users thanks to algorithmic improvements over the double ratchet most systems use today. It also introduces new security guarantees such as the ability for group members to cryptographically verify the recipients of a message. We have been working on integrating MLS in a matrix since 2020 to take advantage of its benefits. The biggest task has been developing uh, approaches to enable MLS to operate in decentralized environments such as matrix or the IETF's Mimi working group, which I have no idea what that is for the record, for interoperable instant messaging. With other interest parties were continuing to develop best practices for MLS that will work without uh, modification in a decentralized environment, which should be available for testing later this year. So I saw the matrix story first. Henry actually saw this other one. The headline says Google messages to support MLS protocol for interoperable end-to-end -end encrypted messaging. Um, basically the same thing. MLS is a, a standard that is open to anyone who wants to use it. It looks like a lot of people are embracing it from Google to Matrix. We'll probably see it roll out in other places. We'll probably see 20 new messengers crop up in the next year touting this because for some reason everybody likes to make messengers. Um, yeah, but despite my cynicism, I, from what it sounds like, this sounds like a win. Uh, is it better than Double Ratchet? I don't know. It sounds like there might be situations where it's better. Uh, truthfully, it's a little bit too technical and goes over my head. I'm not sure, but it sounds like there is definitely a, a place for this and it is a welcome thing. Okay, and with that, we'll roll into Misfits. Uh, we have just one story here. This comes from Bruce Schneier and it says tracking down a suspect through cell phone records. So um, I actually weirdly haven't heard too much about this. Apparently there was a serial killer active in New York. Um, I could be wrong about the details. I'm sorry, I've only heard this reference like once outside of this article. There was a serial killer who went uncaught for like a decade or maybe even more and they just recently tracked him down and here's, uh, according to Schneier, interesting forensics in connection with a serial killer arrest. So here's some notes on how they caught him as it pertains to digital stuff. Investigators went through phone records collected from two areas connected to a burner phone that they had tied to the killings. In court, the prosecutors later said that the burner phone was identified via an email account used to solicit and arrange for sexual activity. The victims had all been Craigslist escorts, according to officials. They then narrowed down uh, records collected by cell towers to thousands, then hundreds, and finally down to only a handful of people who could match a suspect in the killings. From there, authorities focused on people who lived in the area of a cell tower and also matched a physical description given by a witness who had seen the suspected killer. In that narrowed pool, they searched for 
for a connection to a green pickup truck that a witness had seen in the, the suspect driving around. Investigators eventually landed on the suspect, who they say matched a witness's physical description, lived close to the Long Island cell site, and worked near the New York City cell sites that captured the other calls. They also learned that he had often driven a green pickup truck registered to his brother, but they needed more than just the circumstantial evidence. Investigators were able to obtain DNA from an immediate family member and send it to a specialized lab. According to the lab report, uh, the member family member was shown to be related to a person who left DNA on a burlap sack containing one of the buried victims. And then going back to uh, Schneier's analysis of this, there's nothing groundbreaking here. Um, quick personal note. There's nothing mass surveillance here, really. I mean, I mean, like there is the surveillance collection, but it, at the end of the day, it was the police doing work, going out and narrowing down suspects and getting warrants and like testing things. They didn't just like collect all this data and magically hope that a suspect presented itself among the noise and chaos. In fact, with thousands of cell records, it's kind of amazing they found anyone. Unfortunately, I'm about to eat my words here. Um, there's nothing particularly groundbreaking here. It's casting a wide net with cell phone geolocation data and then uh, winnowing it down to, you, to using other evidence and investigative techniques. And right now, those are expensive and time-consuming, so it's only used in major crimes like murder, or in this case, murders. What's interesting to think about is what happens when this kind of thing becomes cheap and easy, when it can all be done through easily accessible databases, or even when an AI can do the sorting and make inferences automatically. Cheaper digital forensics means more digital forensics, and we'll start seeing this kind of thing for more... for even for routine crimes, that's going to change things. So I just thought that was a really interesting thought. Um, I like Schneier. He always has interesting thoughts and insight like that to share. All right. And that was it for the week. Apple has finally grown a backbone around end-to-end -end encryption. The U.S. government has a plan to help IoT be a little bit better for people. ProtonPass is finally open source and audited. A new encrypted messaging standard is here and a lot more. Again, if you like this podcast, we do this pretty much every week. Um, then go ahead and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash surveillance pod. Uh, we've been getting a huge influx of many of you who really like what we're doing and we're both very appreciative of that. It's really awesome to see. Um, so thank you all very much. And if you want to join them, join them down below in the description. And we also have LibraPay if you don't like Patreon. And we also have Monero as well. So there's lots of good options there for you to help support this podcast and keep it going um, indefinitely, hopefully. Um, so thank you all for listening to the surveillance support. The final thing we want to ask you to do is to share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed and give us a rating if you're listening from a platform where that's an option. We want privacy to reach as many of you as possible. And you can help us do that. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week. And there should be a Q&A live before we're live again next week. So if you want to join that Q&A uh, for the next week, <laughs> it's a confusing. Uh, if you want to join the next Surveillance Supports Q&A, which would be like a week and a half from now, uh, join our Patreon.